Hey listeners, Harry here with another episode of Air Power and International Security. Today we have an episode that looks at some of the factors behind the rise of ISIS, both in Iraq and Syria, as well as a prominent magnet for jihadists worldwide. Unlike any Islamist group before it, ISIS managed to galvanise support for its methods as well as its cause across the globe in a way never really seen before, at the same time as conquering and ruling territory like few terrorist organisations have ever achieved. On the show with me today is Dr Aviva Gutman from Aberystwyth University in Wales. Dr Gutman's expertise is in the field of intelligence studies where she focuses specifically on counter-terrorism. In one of her articles, she has described the rise of ISIS as a partial surprise. So I'll be asking Aviva what factors contributed to the rise of ISIS, what made them so unique as an organisation, and why the success of ISIS was so difficult for analysts to predict. So with no further ado, let's take a closer look at the factors shaping the rise of ISIS and the unexpected levels of success that it achieved early on in its history. Hi Aviva, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about the rise of ISIS and the, the appearance of ISIS in the media, in particular the UK media. Thank you for having me. Now, you argue that the rise of ISIS was a partial surprise, as you describe it. Before we get into that, could you briefly explain how ISIS emerged and how it rose to power in both Iraq and Syria? Yes, so we do have to throw ourselves back into what now seems almost ancient history, 2013 and 2014. And especially, I think what we have to keep in mind is that ISIS was really emerging from a civil war context. It was part of the um, one of the rebel groups in Syria. Um, what is, I think, also really interesting about ISIS is that it started kind of from two countries, from Syria and from Iraq, and at a later stage, then it merged together as one, one big force. And my article, I do look at um, why was this not really foreseen as a threat that much? And that's actually part of the reason, because a lot of intelligence agencies, they will have country experts or even experts, there'll be experts in Syria, there'll be experts in Iraq. And so they often don't talk to each other. Um, they have clear desks, you know, that are um, assigned to them. And so after a while only, let's say at the end of 2013, beginning of 14, it kind of crystallized that these two conflicts are somewhat merged. In my article, I identify sort of five factors that have contributed to its rise. One is really that um, ISIS was able to gain control over territories in Syria to mark itself as the most powerful rebel group. In Iraq, it, it kind of led a more, most, more increasingly terrorist campaign, more increasingly brutal campaign. It managed to kind of establish sort of an aura about itself that it is really ruthless, that it is really dangerous, that it is really powerful. They managed to have some prison breaks. Um, it, was, it was sort of a gradual um, development, but also the Iraqi government at the time was leading an extremely sectarian policy. They, they were favoring Shiite um, communities. And so the Sunni community was obviously they were in power for, <laughs> for a very long time before um, Saddam Hussein was, um, was over toppled. But then it, it feels like a lot of resentment has built up and ISIS was able to, to build on that and to, to capitalize on it. Um, another factor that I have identified is really that they managed to actually control 
territories and to rule with enormous cruelty and to showcase this cruelty. That's obviously a, a means of, of terrifying the population. That's so that's that's part of the reasons why they have been able to be sort of successful is um, they kind of crushed all opposition. And another factor that I would that I have identified is that lots of foreign fighters, they were big, they become a magnet for jihadists around the world. They thought, wow, this is the caliphate um, that we have been thinking about, have been hoping it would manifest itself. And now it actually is here. And um, ISIS has been able to, to, to govern territories. And I think that's kind of like, yeah, that was a factor as well, that lots of foreign fighters have been able to join with um, also the neighboring countries like Turkey almost opening its borders, almost facilitating, or let's say like closing the eyes to the stream that went um, of foreign fighters that went to Syria. And lastly, um, ISIS was extremely good at its propaganda. They had a massive, sophisticated online recruitment machinery that was really, I mean, well done, if you will. That was, they managed to kind of like reach people around the world um, especially, you know, young Muslims who just through reading their online material, watching the videos, um, were able to identify with what they were saying and, and um, were able to be recruited. So it's a combination of sheer ruthlessness and really effective PR. Can we call it PR? Propaganda? Definitely, yes. Yeah. Definitely really good PR. You're saying, yeah, ruthlessness and, yeah, I guess, daring and also um, ga- gaining control especially also of oil fields, for instance, or of um, grain production. So they were able to become, you know, almost self-sustainable. They had the gradual income by um, being in control of the oil. So they were able to finance themselves as well. I think that's something that distinguishes them as well from other jihadi groups who might have tried to call a caliphate. So you've mentioned 2013 and 2014 obviously stands out, I think, in most people's minds as, as a really significant year in the development of ISIS. By June of that year, ISIS had captured Mosul, which is Iraq's second largest city. How was it possible for ISIS to defeat the Iraqi military then? You've you've talked about how they were ruthless and how they were able to control resources. Is that key in how they were able to actually manifest this this military response, which, you know, dwarfed that of other rebel groups? I think it's a question of to what extent was it ISIS strength as opposed to the Iraqi military's weakness? And that relates again to the question of um, how foreseeable was it? And I would say a lot of it, and that's why I call it a partial surprise, a lot of the observers at the time were aware that the Iraqi army was highly corrupt. They were aware that there were huge ethnical issues, unresolved issues, and that the Sunni and Shia divide would be increasing, increasing, increasing over the month, um, what was, I guess, not anticipated, and I think what was, was played a crucial element to the um, success of ISIS, is that they were able to convince a big part of the Iraqi military to not fight, or to join them even. Basically, the Iraqi army collapsed in the face of ISIS, and people afterwards were trying to make sense of, of how this could happen. This is a Western-trained and built army, and how could they just um, be so weak in the face of the enemy in the first hours of contact? And a part of it is um, that ISIS, again, the propaganda elements that, you know, we are now the Sunnis um, who, who are like representing you. The government is not representing you. The government um, has been has been discriminating you. Join us and we, we will be a force again in, in Iraq. Like we like we should be in their minds, obviously. 
Um, that's one thing, again, propaganda. The other one is, I think, ruthlessness, again, in the sense that a lot of the Iraqi army might have bought into this kind of propaganda that they are so powerful. And if they were, if they would fall prey to ISIS, that, you know, they would be facing a terrible fate. But there is obviously as well, a huge amount of corruption within the, the Iraqi army. So the army itself was undersupplied in the end, even though it was, was Western trained and everything. And um, even though the weapons were, <laughs> were sometimes, you know, produced in, in America, those weapons might not even reach to people at the front. So they felt they were under-equipped. They felt they were under-trained, nevertheless. So huge corruption meant that the resources were going into the pockets of the people who were at the top of the army, but not into the actual people who were fighting. It's a really good example there of terror being used as that military tactic to try and stop people, stop Iraqi soldiers from fighting. And convincing them to join them. <laughs> like, we're the winners. You mentioned uh, foreign fighters uh, being trained by ISIS and then returning back to European countries. Uh, and I think that's how many people perceived ISIS as a threat in terms of what they could do in London, for instance. But would you say that ISIS was far more of a regional threat within Iraq and Syria? That's predominantly where it was concerned with and predominantly where it affected. Um, or, or do the two things, the uh, global terror campaign and the territorial expansion in the Middle East, do those two things go hand in hand? I think they do go rather hand in hand. By the same token, of course, the people who suffered the most from ISIS are the ones that um, were regionally um, affected by it, who were under its rule. The Yazidi population, the Kurdish population, certainly it was it was mainly a regional threat absolutely um but you know you cannot underestimate also the 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 magnet that isis had had become for jihadist groups and they did call for global jihad and they were actually successful in um recruiting people and it was not only an issue of foreign fighters of course with the borders being so porous and easy to cross it was difficult for the european police to be able to track had somebody gone to Syria they don't know they can just return without having any stamps in their passports and um, you know they've been trained by ISIS they've been indoctrinated by ISIS and they come and want to bring jihad to to Europe so it, it certainly was a threat a regional threat but also a global threat and again the use of social media the use of technology um, that was another element of ISIS terrorism that was quite new it's actually very very novel for a social group to radicalize in that way that you have no contact no physical contact we're not talking about the returnees the ones who went to fight and came back we're talking about those who were online and decided to take the jihadi um the struggle upon themselves and you know self-radicalized um online and so that's that's really a kind of a new phenomenon and i guess that's much harder for states to deal with, right? Because there's very little way of, of tracking, let alone ac- apprehending those people. So that, is that the novelty of ISIS? Of ISIS terrorism in terms of its global reach, that's, that is definitely um, the novelty, as I said, and the difficulty for the law enforcement. And also if I think about, you know, my article is, is also asking the question, to what extent was the rise of ISIS and the threat that it posed being able to be foreseen? And you could say if, if a threat isn't so novel or is, is um, unprecedented, then you cannot expect experts or intelligence analysts to um, to know about it. And so, yes, that's definitely, that's, that I would say is, is a novel um, element for sure. 
you mentioned that uh, the rise of ISIS was a partial surprise, or at least the way in which it manifested was surprising to many, which you've just hinted at there. Mm -hmm. Could you perhaps explain a bit further about what you mean by this partial surprise? And um, perhaps more importantly, why Westerners were unable to foresee the political and the strategic ramifications of ISIS in uh, Iraq and Syria, as opposed to the novelty of them using the internet to radicalise people abroad. So with partial surprise, I do mean that the overall structures that allowed ISIS to rise and to become so powerful, those elements were absolutely known. As I said, the high level of corruption in the Iraqi army, it was absolutely known that this would be the case. But then again, the massive rapid rise and that the army would actually collapse in the face of fight with ISIS, that was sort of not foreseen. So, I mean, it was a partial surprise in the sense that the general conditions in Iraq, the general conditions in Syria were known, um, but the speed especially also was definitely a, a surprise. Like, um, if we go maybe deeper into these five factors, um, in the Syrian civil war, it was known that ISIS was, was an important group, that it gained strength, but at the beginning it certainly was seen as one of many groups and it was not anticipated. Observers did not realize that it would be able to gain control, that it would be able to govern them, like actual, you know, having a Sharia law in place and have police and have uh, prisons and have their own government in place. So that was it's kind of like, it was the civil war context was known at the same time, it was lots of moving factors in the war. So you could say, well, that was difficult to understand the, the, the importance of ISIS that they would take. Um, for Iraq, um, again, it was, it, was, it was known about, as I said, the difficulties that the, the Iraqi government had, the sectarian politics that the Maliki government was, um, was leading. The general context was known, but it was not anticipated, and it was a bit, it was really a surprise when when Mosul fell, when the parts of the Iraqi army were joining ISIS, um, and when when it was understood how weak this um, military would actually end up being. So the the, the partial surprise from the, the third aspect, you know, that the ISIS was ruling with with such cruelty, and that they were able to actually govern, is surprising in sort of two ways. One is that it's kind of rare that splinter group would call a caliphate and would be so successful, would be able to attract so many, so many people. This is something that a lot of groups had actually thought about, even, even Al-Qaeda, that there was, there was actually a, a debate between Al-Qaeda and ISIS where Al-Qaeda said, no, we first have to social structures must be in place and then we can call the caliphate. And ISIS said, no, we have to first call the caliphate and then the structures will come in place. And ISIS was sort of uh, <laughs> proven right in the sense that that was a massive, uh, very smart PR move. So it is kind of like um, what other groups had thought about this. It was surprising that ISIS actually called it, called that they are now a caliphate and that they are now governing. And the second bit is sort of surprising how, how ruthless they were and how cruel they were. I think that was also sort of not anticipated, basically. Um, foreign fighters and terrorist repercussions, that element, I would say, was actually very early on identified by the, by the governments that there is a real potential for a terrorist threat at home. So, yeah, people could come home well-trained and with, with the clear mindset of, of harming um, civilians in Europe, then yes, they can do that. Um, and a sophisticated online recruitment machinery 
in one hand, yes, of course, it would be expected that um, ISIS or like any group would use all technological means available. But I think what was the surprise is that they were especially able to to recruit young people and to use, you know, Snapchat to what have you, I don't remember. Um, but it's something that, you know, if, if you're an older generation, you've been sitting on your desk, you're analyzing your region, um, you might, it might slip, you know, sometimes that what, what is the latest uh, social platform that, that the young would use. So I think here I have identified sort of um, an issue within the intelligence communities itself that um, th there should be a more of a diverse mix in terms of age groups because ISIS was able to recruit especially young people through social media platforms that were just not really known to um to to all the generations so the surprise was there in a way I mean no, the surprise was also that this actual violence became almost trendy among some some groups it was speaking to to a lot of people I think that that's somewhat surprising <laughs> to at least the Western observer, I would I would say. So yeah, it was, it was the, the type of media that they were using, but also that um, that violence could be yeah having sort of a fascination onto onto people, and this is kind of yeah surprising. There's a lot in there that makes makes a lot of sense. Um, myself, I, I'm very much unaware of the social media platforms the kids are using these days as they say so I can understand why that goes over people's heads sometimes and you mentioned the the discussion there between al-Qaeda and ISIS and one of the things I was thinking about was that it would be really hard to predict something like ISIS when the predecessors are much more like al-Qaeda and to my mind and I'm no expert here ISIS and al-Qaeda are very different entities um, my image of al-Qaeda is is bin Laden and terrorists sitting in caves plotting acts of terrorism abroad, whereas ISIS is much more, as you say, the creation of a caliphate, a, a state with state organisations and bodies that can administer territory, which is completely unlike the way I perceive Al-Qaeda, at least anyway. Is, is there any truth in that? Is that perhaps why people were unaware or unable to foresee such a uh, cataclysmic uh, organisation? Yes, I do think that there's an element to that. At the beginning, most analysts did not distinguish the two that much. They thought that ISIS was just a branch from Al-Qaeda, who, um, yes, they, they had some disagreements with Al-Qaeda Central, um, but they kind of like, it only twisted later, I think, that ISIS was such a distinct entity. And I think part of the main split really was this question of caliphate, of when should we call a caliphate and what would be the consequences and al-qaeda was adamant that you should wait and first have the local communities support you should you should build the structures and only when you're really ready you should call a caliphate otherwise i guess the worry would be that you kind of would be called ridiculous if you call a caliphate too early um but isis maybe have understood that this is an actual pr move that will attract more people that will kind of like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you call yourself a caliphate we they ended up being one even if it's a short one and a smaller one and of course they were uncontained as well um but it's it's also interesting maybe the fact that they actually call themselves a caliphate gave them more of a political entity and um made them more of a threat you know if they were able to then expand further that could um you know with oil fields with resources um with an army of people who who you know who believe in their ideology um i think there might have been a fear and that might have actually be able to expand further 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 and you know encroaching on the kurdish areas um massacring entire communities so 
it, it's possible that because that they have actually used the caliphate as a word, as, as an identity, um, they might have also created a strong reaction from, from neighboring countries and from the coalition against ISIS that eventually developed. You mentioned at the start there that it was a relatively short-lived caliphate. So if we could jump ahead, um, I think uh, in 2018 it was, Donald Trump declared that ISIS had been defeated. How accurate was this statement? Does ISIS remain any way a threat today? Um, so the interesting bit is that ISIS has been declared dead several times. <laughs> they have sort of like um, researched quite a bit. I mean, recent news, even from yesterday, I heard that um, ISIS is strengthening again, even in, in Iraq. Um, but I think what ISIS has become now is sort of a brand. Um, and different jihadist movements, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, they can call themselves ISIS. And by doing that, they get funding, they get weapons, they get um, access to the propaganda. They sort of get a jihadi legitimacy. It's their credibility. If, if you call yourself, you're a part of ISIS, then, then you're more, you're somebody in a jihadist world. So yeah, it has, it has become sort of a, yeah, a branch. And by the same token, you know, a lot of these uh, regional manifestations of, of ISIS are very much embedded in their own regional and local insurgencies. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not the ISIS, it's not the same ISIS, nevertheless. So there's kind of a, there's kind of a debate and it's, it's, it's not entirely clear to what extent ISIS actually has influence. The ISIS central, you know, the CIA Iraq has actual influence. Um, from what it seems, it is really more of a, of, again, of a name, like you, know, you call yourself a caliphate, you call yourself part of ISIS um, for, for getting more credibility, for more, for more legitimacy among the different insurgencies. Um, but there is also maybe another argument for why it's not the same ISIS everywhere is that the different groups have completely different strategies. There are groups that are, again, very ruthless, um, that kill civilians and are very, very brutal. And there are other groups in the Lake Chad region, for instance, who really are careful about only targeting uh, government institutions or police, but would leave their local population by itself mostly to gain to to have their support so there are different strategies the way they operate but they all still call themselves ISIS and I think it really is a question of like a brand you know like like McDonald's you open a brand and you get the they get the resources um but I think it's very much still um their the own individual groups and that in itself is a threat I guess that inspiration the motivation that that brand can provide insurgent groups across across the planet I guess can be can be deadly if we focus on the Iraq uh, and Syria original ISIS, did you pick up on any themes as to why they ended or, or, or what influenced their demise? Well, in the end, it was the battlefield that um, decided it. I mean, the, there was the coalition against ISIS um, and it, it was a matter of time until the numbers would just like, you know, speak against them. Okay then, Aviva, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciated uh, you taking the time to come and tell us more about the rise of ISIS as a force in Iraq and Syria. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Excellent stuff there from Dr. Gutman. The distinction being made there between Al-Qaeda and ISIS was quite apparent, and perhaps why people were surprised at the way in which ISIS manifested. 
I guess there's an important lesson in that, that one should not always assume that what comes next will be a logical or expected progression of what came before it. Now that we've covered the appearance of ISIS as a military force in the Middle East, do look out for future episodes in which we'll cover the political imperative to quash ISIS, as well as the military effort to defeat it. Anyway, that's it for this week. See you next time.